Chapter 39. We switch back to Marisi, and she's having a bit of a crisis where she finds herself in the world and the mythical people that she's been meeting as a result of her choices in life and the people that she associates with. After passing through an identity lock on the door, which is fascinating in and of itself, she and Marisi walk into the home of this strange band working under the Survivor and meeting two interesting individuals. One nicknamed Codenames, or Codenames are... Codenames stupid. suck? Codenames are stupid? Codenames are codenames stupid. Are, are stupid. Rattles off a couple of systems that can no longer be visited, like Roshar and Bajandal, as well as those fools of Nalthus, of whom are still using the perpendicularities to travel. All told, there's a lot of lingo in this chapter with places, languages, and things described here. What the hell do you make of all of this? Sort of. This is the beginning of the big Cosmere section that this this week breaks wide open. Yeah, yeah, it does. So I'll address it kind of in order. First and foremost, the identity lock is amazing. Mm-hmm. That's so fucking cool. However it works, I, I want to I want to learn. We get a lot of lock stuff this week. And by a lot, I mean two. Two new locks. And and, and <laughs> that's a that's a lot compared to some weeks. But going into like the meat of this. I obviously recognize a lot of these words and these terms and these locations, but my knowledge of it is passing and almost entirely based on like the convention hall names at Dragonsteelcon. Mm-hmm. So I don't have very much information to draw on for most of this. So almost all of it just kind of flew past me, which I think is okay for now. And truly, I think maybe means I've maintained an air of like non-spoilers for the for the other books. I don't know though. Yeah, we'll see. But like, none of it stuck in my brain because I have no basis for like understanding of it. This is hard to talk about, right? This is one of the things that is that is like actively. One of the delineating factors that we were talking about right at the top of this episode, right? This is what changes this novel from just a strictly Mistborn story into a Cosmere book, right? And a lot of the books that we've read so far have been a lot more self-contained. Characters that are shared are predominantly Hoyd, with a couple of other exceptions that we talked about in Secret History with Chris and Najad, and, you know, kind of those as maybe the three total exceptions. So there hasn't been a whole lot in the way of other context that's been brought in outside of us drawing connections to other things to inform our experience in these stories, right? So the idea of the names of the planets like Nalthus, of which is the Warbreaker planet, of Cell, which is the Elantrian planet. These Some of those contexts are gained by the Ars Arcanum in the back. Some of them are gained by the Arcanum Unbounded that we get some of that extra information from. But by and large, the stories have been stories on their own with sort of multi multiversal distant connections. And maybe the one through line of all of them up until this story has been Hoyd. Um, and so... This is the one that starts to feel like a distinct break from that to some degree, where I don't want to say that it's gone full MCU by any means and like this crazy team up and anything like that. But there is. It is a progression. It's definitely going in a different direction. So I kind of have been thinking about this like. A very, very complicated D&D world. Sure. That makes sense. To a certain degree. Like. 
D&D multiversal thing like star. What's it called? There's space stuff. Oh, my God. I'll think of it. Anyway, D&D multiverse stuff. Star. That sounds right. I don't think it is. It's the it's the space version of Pathfinder called Starfinder. No, that's that's Pathfinder's version. Whatever it is. Anyway, like my 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 point is that it it feels like Spelljammer. That's the name of DM. Spelljammer. Gotcha. A DM that has taken meticulous care of creating these worlds and then just is letting them go. And now is the time where everything's converging and they're going to be annihilated. Like it's the the time where these worlds are being potentially ended for whatever reason, which makes for very very compelling story, mm-hmm. and allows for really amazing heroic characters. But I really want to know is where like I, I really want to know about Brandon's headspace on all of this and if he sees it as sort of the beginning of the end of the cosmere Hmm. as everything starts colliding that's a great question and i don't know i i couldn't i couldn't strictly tell you the answer i can i like i've listened to the man talk enough about this stuff between spoiler streams between everything else that i have a number of pictures in my head for where everything is going to go and he's detailed the kind of book plans very very openly he's been incredibly transparent that's one of the things that people love about brandon sanderson is he's just like here is the next two decades of my book writing plans it's going to take him until i think he said 73 to finish everything that he wants to and that's assuming that everything goes perfectly according to his plan and giving himself some space for some side novels in case things crop up and you know other other joys that he may want to pursue but i i can't help but agree with you is thinking of this as like a an inflection point this there or an infraction point maybe this is a changed moment and again i don't want to i don't want to bring this comparison fully because i don't think that it is like the mcuification of the whole thing but this does have the slightest tinge of feeling like an avengers story bringing in these other magic systems as opposed to keeping them completely separate and and keeping them isolated so it's not that that hasn't existed before in other stories and that there haven't been other inflection points, but this one feels the most critical of them all so far. So yeah. directly tied together, these worlds become in these moments. And that's a hard thing to un untie, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean is like, they're all, co- maybe it's not a cataclysm of like the end of all of these stories, but it just feels like, somebody juggling or spinning plates spinning plates might be the best way to put it and then just like Mm -hmm. pushing them together yeah and i i think he does that well i don't have any context other than what i've read so like i I I don't know know. it's happened before but and interestingly enough in the timeline of things this is the latest book this is the latest novel in the timeline so far right now published so this is as far as a lot of these stories go so mm-hmm. to some degree it's, it's the latest point and so it may be the beginning of that infraction point that you're discussing saying that this is the latest point this is also in theory this is assuming nothing changes big assumption here this is post stormlight 5 we're technically going to be in the cosmeric past 
in Stormlight Five versus this book. So okay, not that you not that that has any implication over what you're saying, but comparatively, this could be considered then the Inven- the Avengers point because there's an entire arc that's concluded, and then after this we may be facing a very different Cosmere. That's like, this is a huge nut to crack, and I don't think we should try to go too much further than this sort of exploratory thought here, because I think it is something that we can talk about more at length when we're done with the book and the series. And that I think we'll also probably be talking about all year with each of these secret projects, except for number two, which is not a Cosmere novel. But Are we still going to read it? Yeah, we're still going to read it. Okay. It's just, it's a brand, it's, we're doing the whole, we're doing all four books, but we're, you know, that one's not Cosmere. Just as gotcha. So, yeah. Sounds good. Honestly, I'm kind of excited because it's not, so it'll be fun to just be like in a new world, in a new place, see what Brandon does. Yeah. So. Cool. Oh, so much there. So we also meet the other individual here, Twin Soul, and boy, is he an interesting old man of sorts. I love his offering of tea here. It's reminiscent of the first story where tea was offered and, you know, the skepticism with which we might have around people who give away tea. But at the same time, his sort of tone and demeanor reminds me of Uncle Iroh from Avatar The Last Airbender. However, he's got an odd power referred to as the Aether that manifests in crystals growing out of him under his skin that he can manipulate and that seem to react to water, allowing for it to grow and bloom in this sort of rosite pink color. What do you make of Twin Soul and the whole thing? Yeah, we have been doing maybe not a great job, but a job of of not bringing up the secret project but it's hard not to mention it so i'm going to comment a bit i'm not going to spoil anything we get context on these abilities in that book and we we get understanding to a certain i I, do these abilities exist in other book series like do they exist in stormlight or is like this the only like the first explanation of this magic system. This is, oh man, there are mentions and like the lightest versions of occurrences that you could possibly consider. Okay. Lighter than Hoyt is in Elantris before that postscript that was added a decade later. Okay. This is the first explicit build out of this thing that Brandon has always said was intended as canon. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So. We get a lot more context in The Secret Project, book one. Holy shit, is it fascinating. And I, like, now I understand what's going on with this, but it is very mystical and feels so strange. This this is so interesting, right? (laughs) And I want to, I think it's maybe... I'm probably going to have to cut this back, so I'm going to just say this here. Spoilers for Secret Project 1. Skip forward two minutes. This is fascinating because this is the only time that you've ever been ahead of me in anything in Brandon Sanderson's works. And so at this very moment, you have more on this particular thing of which was otherwise, as mentioned earlier, a magic system that had not been described outside of the singular novel. It it had not been touched upon outside of the lightest idea of like smearing on a clothing on a piece of clothing. Like it was not real or tangible in any serious way. And now 
It now is. I understand the magic system. Well, you know, you know way more than I do right now, which is so <laughs> it, strange. It, well, it's, it's not in way more, but at the very least, more than I know. And this, I, I understood it to begin with, and I kind of got the perception of like the water seems to fuel it, although that's not explicit. There are other things here that we can't immediately talk about, but we will end up talking about on Secret, Secret Project 1. Okay. All this to where, say... Where are you right now on Secret, Secret Project I 1? I am in Chapter 12. Okay, um, but what's happening there? It, it was just after Tress left the island and... Or rather, the place that she's from on the boat, and she's the inspector, and they got stopped after getting shot at the cannons. Okay. And the or eater, or I forget exactly what the term is called, Swore Sprouter is, like, taking care of the water... I think, if I remember correctly, and like trying to make sure that no water gets into the ship based on everything else. Or spores don't get into the ship, so the water can't react with it. Something like that. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. about where I'm at. Yeah. Cool. All that's right. our two-minute mark. So. Yep. Perfect. Well, welcome back. No secret project spoilers from here on out. But Twin Soul is fascinating, regardless of that discussion. As a character, too. I mean, guy's cool. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I, I... Twin Soul feels different than other code names for for some reason and i'm not sure why it just like has a different vibe like they're all two words but twin soul feels different i don't know don't know what to make of that yeah i i, I do get the uncle Eero connection to that that tea scene hmm. weird old men yeah weird old men right it's it's definitely definitely a component of this whole story so, uh, but, but I think he's pretty great. I mean, there is that clarification of like lady and language and that also lines up otherwise it's, it's cool. But I, I think it's worth talking about the fact that he does take his ability and creates this map and begins to point out the three different locations that they're confident that the autonomy is operating out of the independence tower, an old office building and a tire factory. She catches the other two up, meaning code names and everything else, and excuse me, Moonlight. code names and Twin Soul on the goings on here, and and as such, Moonlight makes the decision that it is time to call Kelsier. Let's go, <laughs> our boy. <laughs> yeah, I've been hesitant about using our boy for Wax. Oh, why Wax? Wax deserves it. Nah, I don't know. Okay. All right. Ellen and Kelsier, man. I think they're both still alive. You think Ellen's still alive? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Spook. I mean, like, Spook <laughs> you can make the argument for, but Ellen is so How dead. How many Our Boys did we have in the first trilogy? We had Spook, Ellen, Kelsier. I, I think that. Did we even have Kelsier as Our I Boy? genuinely don't think. I, I, I think, don't think I tried to intentionally exclude Kelsier, and then it might have slipped out. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna claim perfection here, but it may have slipped out. It, I uh, honestly, I think it might have been Marsh first. Our boy Marsh. Yeah, that's probably true because I do have a predisposition to appreciating Marsh's perspective and all of that, given the end of the series. So I probably said our boy Marsh because he's yeah. self-sacrificial and working very hard, and you know, mm-hmm. everything his brother wasn't at the time. <laughs> kind of, not really, and at was, this time, but. Hmm. Oh boy, whole whole different conversation. <laughs> He's I'll I'll give I'll give Kelsier I'll give post secret history Kelsier this in the Lost Metal. He appears to have incredible intentions and seems to be working from a very different place. And yeah, not that he didn't actually clarification. 
it's not that he didn't have bad intentions in all of the original secret history. It's just that it colored other characters actions. That was a problem. He was always working with the heroes and for the heroes. There was nothing directly malicious about his actions in the Mistborn saga. It was just that I had problems. I, I had problems yep. with the way that that impacts our POVs. So, but it's so great to see Kelsier here and now, and we'll talk about that more in a minute or two. So with that, we go into chapter 40. There is a friend referenced that we had previously talked about or that had been previously talked about, and that's the glowing sphere of light that's the size of this child's head and is very clearly a Sion from Elantris. And that also makes it feel very clear, especially as she mentioned her brother, who is good at math, that this is likely, I forget if it's Kaisei? Kai. Kaisei sounds right. Kaisei sounds right, right? Of the Teo royal family. Teo royal family. And that's so neat. Like, it's so cool to see this, like, it's also an under the covers cameo, I think, to some degree. Like, you'd have to know for it to matter. Um, yeah. and But but it also doesn't matter. But right, it's right. it's like an Easter doesn't change the context at yeah. this point. Totally. Um, and it, it, like, I love this section and all of these little reveals this specifically and it, it's like, this book is just zooming into favorite spot for me mm. it has been already as we've discussed like that it's not new but like this book is so fucking good <laughs> it is it, it does a really clever job of doing doing a lot of this work subtly too which is great mm-hmm and and not in a way that's necessary. Like this is the one thing that I've gotten so far that's like oh, information okay. from other series or other books or other parts of the Cosmere mm-hmm. that is like, oh my god, I understand this. But ultimately, like it doesn't fucking matter because this is Marcy's perspective and everything that she needs to know will be explained explained to her. We just get the little mm-hmm. the lug the little luxuries of extra sort of nods. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that is something that I really appreciate about this, this story. And one of those things that I had a giant question mark over trying to approach it. Right. And that's part of the reason, as mentioned earlier, that I didn't want to force you to read the things that felt necessary to fully get the context of the story, partially because we weren't going to be able to do it. I mean, like we're not going to be able to do all of Stormlight before this book comes out. We're not going to fit that in. But on top of that, the other smaller pieces, I was like, I'm not going to make them read them because I think a, that also could kind of spoil it to say like, Hey, you have to read this before that, meaning that this is important to that. And so will you appreciate it to begin with? And I, I felt like this was a really fun way to, for you to engage with it, where it's like, how much does it actually matter that it feel to me? It has this, I hate this comparison once again, but it has this like MCU-ish feel of where it's like everything colliding in a big way and creating this multiversal thing. Wherein for you, it's because, like you said, we're locked in Marisu's POV, it still feels like we're being exposed to something new, even if it's this sense of dramatic irony that we get out of knowing who this character is, this minor character. And I don't know if it even gets to the point of dramatic irony it just feels like an Easter egg almost. I mean, maybe, an Easter egg, maybe that changes yeah. later, but like there, there's not like, I guess maybe technically based on the definition of dramatic irony, 
this fits in, but the spirit of it doesn't seem to fit. No, correct. It's it's an Easter egg, but dramatic irony is really just it, it's fully encompassing something where words or actions are clear to the audience, but not to characters. And so that's mm-hmm. the sort of delineation for dramatic irony is this idea right. that, yeah, you know, the characters it, it don't know, but we get it. It fits the definition, but it doesn't seem yeah. to fit the spirit of how dramatic irony is typically used. No, and- right, right. It's not it's not being employed for like it in Easter egg is just as is more apt, but it is also technically dramatic irony based on what you said. So I just wanted to, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, layer that in. I, I agree. It's yeah. just this is far from the typical structure of a book series. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Are there are there other book series that you're familiar with that have a similar sort of separate stories that slightly start to intermingle construction like this has yeah Mm -hmm. yeah at least one okay cool i'll give you the finger gun and i'm gonna take that as a you don't want to elaborate further and we will continue on yeah that's that's one of those that i'm not going to talk about until we have to talk about it so yeah We'll just right, hold that there. Cool. But at least yep. one. If not, I've got two on my shelves right now that I can stare at. But yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Cool. Series. But yeah. I don't want to say like I, I find it very fat. This story is incredibly well written. And I would say that almost almost none except for the one that I'm thinking of are as broad and as sort of intentionally constructed as this is. So that is something that is uniquely going for Brandon Sanderson and the Cosmere is how intentionally designed all mm-hmm. of this is. I don't think that either of the other two stories adhere to as strict of rule sets as like as universally bound, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. But I, I would say that that is a not a wholly unique, but a mostly unique component of the Cosmere is that it is distinct in that way that you highlighted. Yeah. Okay. But then we get to Kelsier, the survivor. Marcy is taken aback as she's literally prayed to this man as she is identified by name. The team is identified as well as the ghost bloods as Kelsier refers to them. And they begin to he begins giving him or they begin giving him a rundown of the goings on of the set in Harmony and says that he is on his way to try and help with the problem, but that he's not going to be there for at least 12 hours. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit before. Because it's hard not to like. This section does a really good job of tying a lot together. And it's hard not to sort of cross paths a little bit. So we've talked about this a little bit, but I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper now. And I don't have much to go on, but I'm still convinced. I still I still hold. I, I haven't been broken of the idea that this is Spook's body and visage and form. So we know the face of the man with the spike through the eye is the man that, like, the 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 face of the person that Marisi has worshipped and has, like, seen depictions of in her religious texts. But we also know that these religious texts are not necessarily true to everything that happened 300 years ago this is a living and 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 breathing religion and society and harmony 
frankly, has a lot of control over what actually gets passed through. So I like this, this hasn't yet broken that idea for me. We, we had from last week, the mention from Marsh about three, three crew members that are still alive without, without further explanation. I think the, the assumption is Sazed, Marsh and Kelsier, but we also talk about Kelsier and Sazed not technically being alive in that same section. So like, fuck man, could, could spook be one of them with, with Kelsier's consciousness sort of layered on top of it. I don't know. It's hard to really grasp. I want to take everything at face value Mm -hmm. because that's easy, but I can't because that's too easy and that's not how my brain works. (laughs) And that's, that's within reason. You know, I I don't want to try to paint it any other way. I, I think that one thing that I would love to clarify on, and this is something that I think I even kind of talked about the previous time. And I think we, we kind of agreed on this previously is that it's likely not that, spook or that kelsier necessarily has picked up spook's form i want to draw that clarification i think that he used his body to tether himself to reality in some way i don't know that we have solid proof of what that yields or what that could be like but to me it feels like if anyone is going to sacrifice themselves in some significant way for kelsier to come to life spook seems like the only option could have been at the end of his life i mean there are any number of reasons or theories that that could make that reality and as we know, it's not as though Kelsier is fully planar. He is somewhere in between, as Marsh described. He's more than a ghost, but not a cognitive shadow. He's somewhere in between the the realms. So, mm-hmm. and there's I still want to say the, that I, the mystery of the spike through the eye, right? And maybe that's a part of the reason why Kelsier is at odds with with Harmony because he's utilizing hemolurgy. I don't know about that. It's still hemolurgy is a harmonic art, harmonic art. Right. Um, But it's one that he actively like, I guess he doesn't entirely condemn it because he utilizes it through earrings and like as a means of communication. He just doesn't. And with the chondra, like, yeah. Okay. I, I, that was, that was my core point there. I didn't want to fully disagree with you. I do think that, I, I think that he's not at odds with Harmony in that way. I think that he's more ethically and morally at odds, more similar to autonomy in the way that they sort of spar. Mm-hmm. Not not in direct opposition, though. I think that's the one thing is that Kelsier and Harmony, let's say, is it, both want the best for the planet. And so I think they're just approaching it from different means. They just um, disagree on, on how to get there. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think that they haven't really directly acted against each other in any meaningful way yet. And they're old friends, so they're willing to look past some of those things. But I do think that the spike in the eye is something to do with his ability to be tied between realms. I don't know exactly what that is, but I know it's real. Hold on for a second here. Could it be a unique alloy of god metals? Maybe. Given to spook? To yeah. allow for Kelsier to inhabit him somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it that, could. That it could feels be. like there's other implications that could come from that. And I don't know if that's something that we want to rip open. 
I don't know that it could be a. I don't know that it is a god metal because we do see from Bands of Morning. Now that I'm remembering it, we see blue lines burn out from him, and the assumption to me is that the hemorrhagic spike is what grants him that because as a cognitive shadow, he didn't have access to allomancy. So my right. assumption is is that the only reason that he has that, and he does say as well in this phone call that he can't steel push his way effectively across the ocean to make it there. My assumption is is that he's getting some form of allomancy but that he isn't fully a mistborn anymore i think that's an important thing here is that like while he may be powerful and maybe otherworldly to some degree he is not not a mistborn any longer could it be an adelnasium spike that is a magnificent question that we won't get an answer for for a decade all right cool <laughs> i can't i i, I don't <laughs> even know where to begin with assessing that because it's not where would that have came from? As far as we're aware, so far, everything was shattered and divided evenly. So that would be was wild. Was it shattered, How though? would he have gotten it? There were, there were other nuggets. <laughs> what? Other nuggets? What do you mean? In the cavern, when, when Vin fed a nugget to... There was one other Alan. nugget. Hoyd stole it. Yeah. Oh, Hoyd stole it. Okay. That was the one that Hoyd stole. Yeah. There were other clay on settings, but that was still Lorassium. I think that... Regardless, none of that was Andal Nauseam. Okay. Fair. Yeah. There, there's this other aspect, too, to this conversation that happens kind of at large here with Kelsier, which is that, or maybe it's before with Telson, where they're talking about the planet's compositions, and I find it really interesting because as far as we know, Scadrial was actually created by ruin and preservation entirely all of the life the planet itself everything was placed perfectly to preserve and create life so that eventually it could be ruined right which to me in my depiction includes the planet itself so it's fascinating that's brought up in these conversations it's like the artificial form of human life to some degree you could call it i don't want to fully script it as ai but comparatively you could kind of think about it like life born from thoughts about life not necessarily strictly yeah. pure and life i I had imagined the planet existing. Yeah. But not being shaped mm. as it is now. And like they, they inhabited the planet and then decided to shape it together and seed life on it. Sure. That's like, I, I didn't see them creating the planet itself, but rather shaping an existing uninhabitable planet. Because they do say that even the rocks themselves have elements of harmony and ruin and like everything is composed of it. So I, I had to my brain stretches to the whole thing. Not that I disagree with you just saying like that's right. But we, we also got like that conversation about what fucking what's her name? Autonomy investing the planet. So like it, that could be a process that can be done of investing everything within the planet. I don't yeah. Know. Right. Interesting. Absolutely. I do want to bring up, how do you feel about the name Ghostbloods? It sounds like something a 14-year-old invented. Which is, for the record, Kelsier's entire vibe is edgy (laughs) 14-year-old. That's very true. So, it fits. (laughs) I just spilled water all over myself right there because you laughed at that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It does kind of feel like an edgy 14-year-old. So I agree. But I like the name. I think it's good. It's a good group name. There are worse, mm. you know, worse band names. But yeah. So we get a small, I think, but important reveal here. 
it's likely that a vast majority of the aluminum and its availability in the basin has been provided to the basin by this group of spies in the ghost blood, meaning that Kelsier's influence here is still a massive deal as he may have assisted pushing society forward in other ways, including the sort of dispersion of aluminum. Miracy also ruminates on the thing that I've been talking about for a while, as this becomes more and more common, how the playing field between the alimantically strong or otherwise will begin to fade over time as this proliferates its way through society. What do you think about this sort of change and the way that this is almost contextualized? This is something we were talking about back in bands and I think even to some degree in shadows. What do you think? So I agree to a certain degree. This is a very fun tidbit tidbit to yeah. like dissect and and explore knowing that half of the aluminum was created this way and that technology like that that discovery is very close to the general populace at large. It'll throw things for a loop for sure, but I don't think it will truly create less of a rift between Alamancers and non-Alamancers within this world simply because we've seen how effectively Alamancers can use them. Like it will change the battleground mm-hmm. if, if we see it as a battle. If we see it as a battleground, we'll, we'll, it'll it'll shape the landscape. But I don't think it will negate the differences if that makes sense it'll just give mm-hmm. both sides more tools does it but the that the only works? ungifted okay. are at such a heavy advantage i mean i there are other advantages to alamancy which have been very clearly depicted in this which i think is especially clear in chapter 41 when wax basically is a counter argument to this whole thing saying despite the prevalence of wires and other things like that he Alamancers that are really talented are just becoming more in tune with Alamancy, and so they're able to distinguish things like wires in the walls and whatever else. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's some specificity to what you're saying. I right. just don't fully I, this, agree on the equal playing field. I feel like it's leveling out for the non-Alamantically so, gifted. So, yes, I will concede your points only if there's a situation where there is a struggle between Alamancers and non-Alamancers. Because as it stands, there are Alamancers on both sides of any struggle that's happened so far. Like sure. it, it, it just makes for... The only way that it would negate the effects of Alamancy is if it was a civil war of Alamancers versus non-Alamancers. Wow. That gets into some really complex territory. I totally see what you're saying. I'm trying to figure out the end result of that, right? Like if you are... So I'm imagining Era 3, which Brandon has described as basically the 1970s-ish, kind of a spy-ish thriller to some degree. And what if the backdrop of that isn't something like the... Very similar to the 1960s conflicts surrounding race and giving ensuring that all people have rights inside the United States and, and An that as a backdrop. Right, exactly. It would be very X-Men and it would it would paint kind of a similar picture, except for. I think given the world that we've experienced, it would be the other way around where the repressed people are the people without abilities. So it'd be like an inverse of the X-Men to some degree. Do you uh, think so? I think so. I think entirely. Who's in power right now? Almost all of them are alimantically capable as far as we're aware or are only because there's the, the hold on 
to that noble bloodline being in power. If they were to yeah. strip nobility from the Senate, wouldn't that leave a powder keg though? It, because they would Absolutely. feel cheated. That's my point. So like that would leave them as feeling like they're the disenfranchised group, even though they aren't and they maintain power and wealth and everything else. Cause you can't strip that away after it's been acquired effectively or as effectively, I should say, but yeah, not but as I'm effect- just saying like there, as a setup there'd be methods like I could see it happening. You uh, there there are methods. I don't think what Brandon's trying to do would go that direction. It feels easier to set this up as a inverted power scheme. Not only that, it also feels better from a from every other perspective where one of a, a big gripe with fran- fantasy is the sort of that it enshrines good blood versus bad blood in a lot of ways not everything but in what you call it like god hereditary magic systems where it's based on the bloodlines it is tolkien in general (laughs) considered problematic tolkien's interesting where it's not i mean tolkien verges in a couple of different ways where it takes races and spins them out very differently but that's not the same as a hereditary but also cursed bloodlines Yes, that is true. That does that hits the like orc problem. I, I'm trying not to talk about that. I'm thinking yeah. more like Harry Potter, right? Okay. So, but the the reality with Harry Potter is that even that was broken to some degree with the mudbloods let in, as they're referred to in awful slang at the time. So there there's this thing to be reckoned with that is, and I think that as such, as a responsible writer, I think Brandon would do such to put the elementically capable on the top of the pile to be taken off of the pile as opposed to have them be fighting the other direction. I think maybe well, especially I don't know. It's because all my responsibility, but I post, feel like that's an easier story. Post hero of ages. They like Sazed changed the way snapping worked Correct. effectively so that yep. like it wasn't strictly tied to nobility. No, he changed it. So it wasn't related to abuse. Right, and and allowed anybody, even non-nobles, to snap. It still appears to be hereditary. That's the whole thing with the the set. They're tracking down people that are hereditary still, because it still oh, that, has hereditary that was, roots. That wasn't the case. It was yeah. the fact that anybody can, can burn a god medal. That's, yeah, that actually has nothing to do with Sazed's choice. That's just that Brandon needing to clarify. That was just... Yeah clarification it's complicated it's really complicated it is yeah and and so that's why i think that this is such an interesting conversation about where the future of this lies because i think that brandon is very aware he's been on a couple of panels talking about the negatives of hereditary blood hereditary magic systems he has obviously a prominent one here that is you know two of his three magic systems are hereditary on this one planet and a lot of his other planets don't feature something that's hereditary so we'll see yep but i i think that that to your point net here is that that's probably some form of an incredible long game for where this is going i think that it will go to the the sort of unrest of the 60s and 70s as a part of the backdrop for the world i hope and i hope in a more I really like the context that's brought up here to the Industrial Revolution, but I still feel like it's skimmed over to compared to how important it could be to the story. And I would want, so, and I know that this is sort of meant to be like an offshoot. It's not meant to be as serious as Era 1 and Era 
three now are and era four is, but I hope that it gets a higher highlight. Yeah, I, I, I will say we get through Warbreaker mm-hmm. some some like physically difference like physical differences in races and how they're socio socioeconomically impacted in that way with the Idrians being suppressed within the society. Halendrin, yeah. Halendrin, yes, sorry. We don't get really a racial aspect with the exception, like within Mistborn, the exception is the fact that under the Lord Ruler, the nobility and the Ska people were- And the terrorists. Well, and the terrorists, they yeah. were they were physically separated mm-hmm. and genetically changed to effectively be different groups of people. Right. And I don't know how much mixing has happened at this point, 300 years post-ascension, but I, I'd be curious if, if something physical still lingers because that hasn't really been described yet in this era yes i also don't think it exists to the degree that it does but i think that's an entirely separate thing and all all that i was trying to say is i think in the future i don't think that the divide will be one that's equated to racial but i do think that there's the potential for it to be a magical divide and for that to be used as a sort of equanimous equanimous factor fair very similar to x-men like you said early on so yeah but there, okay. there is that in the past as well. Like he's, he has used these things and I'm not saying that it's right or wrong to have. And I don't think we're trying to evaluate that at all. I'm just for the future of the series. I think it would be very interesting. And I think the ground is laid here to some degree for that eventual schism in the form of the availability of aluminum. Yeah. So, yeah, that's fair. We also get something very interesting here on the outset of this conversation. We get these three jars of pure unkeyed investiture door as it is, as Moonlight explains it. And as Kelsier said in the phone call, take the jars of door. Here's the security key code to get through. And Moonlight explains that it is from the corpses of two dead gods intermingled. We also, of course, are informed for clarity's purpose a bit later here that this is door the magic power that originates from cell that we've experienced before from Elantris. And it's so interesting to see it in some sort of physical manifestation and to also clarify that the door seems to be unkeyed in some way, shape or form. What do you, what the fuck do you I think? What, where's so, your brain go? I'm so intrigued by all of this. I think it is Brandon's intention to make us assume that this is the body of harmony or the body of ruin and preservation somehow based on the fact that it's two gods intertwined. So like uh, if we're going off that assumption or going Mm -hmm. off of that, maybe misdirecting knowledge, it's either like collected after ruin and preservation died and this body doesn't matter to harmony or his current form is more crippled than we originally thought. Wait, 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 Okay. No. Is there an explanation that I missed? Yes, there is. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I let you go for a little bit too long on that. 
This is not at all to do with harmony. This is 100% to do with magic that is from Cell, from Elantris. The door is the power that they tap into. I know, but but yeah, I, I assumed that at its core, all mm. of the magic systems pulled from the same tap. Interesting. I think that the door is so specific. Here's, here's what I'll give you. I, I understand exactly where you're going with this. I would imagine Harmony's version of the door would be different than the door. Does that okay. make sense? It's still yes. useful in all means, but I think it's still generally keyed to an identity. And similarly, my so, ser- so here's, where my, here's my, where my brain went. Yeah. All of them have the same like base, base power, and they output it in, in whatever specific magic system they right. feel fit. And... The door on cell was outputted in such a raw manner that that became the de facto name for the raw power. That could be true. That could be true. We do not have enough information to even assume that. I Um, thought we we understood. I thought thought ruin and preservation were unique in the fact that they were intertwined. They are because they're both alive shards. We're talking about two dead shards. Gotcha. So that's a unique thing in and of itself. So fair enough. Okay. Part of part of my back pose here to you would be these two dead shards no longer have intent. And so their power is just kind of loose, but they've got some maybe rough form of intent that's merged together to allow for them to be this thing. Don't know for sure. No one knows. We don't have the answer to that question anywhere. But that is kind of the my assumption is is because they died. It's more like it's unkeyed potential that can be keyed. However, on the planet of Cell, it is restricted to those of whom can access it, which includes the specific scarrings of the land because Dominion dominates that as well as devotion being the sort of rulership over which the relationship between a god and the individual lies and gotcha. the power therein. From I had devotion, I guess it's the cheap word to say, but yeah, yeah, Faith. okay, sure, cool. That shattered my <laughs> what my it's not what was going. It's at. not to say that I don't believe that what you're saying could also be true. It's just that we have no other evidence to suggest because the only version of this that we have is the door. So if yeah. harmony and preservation died and it had the same effect when brought to another planet or what have you, the door is probably a simplified term for what's going on here. Yeah. Okay. Because it's what they understand it to be from cell. We're dealing with people of whom are still working out the science of it all. So, but Mm -hmm. this is not from harmony. I think that's the only important clarification that I wanted to try to bring here is that this is intentionally not from harmony. Okay. Cool. Because the manifestation is entirely different. The powers are manifested in metals, something that is readily available, which Moonlight also comments on, versus yeah. something like faith or like land <laughs> <laughs> and the specific formations in which. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, but I think still this idea that this is just power sitting in a tube that they could use, that even she could use to burn, that Marisi could use to use her alimantic capabilities is fascinating she could just sit there and burn and like be able to burn on this all day in theory 
especially because she creates a slow time. Would it allow her to use other powers? I don't think so. I think it's unkeyed, right? So it's not, it's, it's driven by no intent and it doesn't grant access. So I think it would just be less than like it's, it's further than unkeyed. I think of it as pure, it is pure energy. And the only way in which she has the capability of doing work is through the, her one access point to do work, which is her genetic capability to burn, what is it, chromium? Yeah. Yeah. But but we know she could burn other metals, too. Like, we know she can burn all the god metals. Yeah. So could she just burn this as one of the god metals? And get that ability question, PJ, whatever that means. Cool. I, it's, I, I genuinely mean that. I didn't mean that. As <laughs> no, like a no, no, comment. I know like I, I, that, that wasn't truly that wasn't like obstinance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that it didn't come off that way. Cause I truly meant no. it as like a, not no, a big I, deal. I have gotten very used to you not being able to share more information with me. Yeah. I'm never, I'm never trying to be a condescending asshole. And I'm uh, never trying to never, be a dick. Well, I, sometimes I'm trying to be a dick with. Sometimes you, I make jokes that are, you know, I'll, I'll take, <laughs> I'll take my lumps, but like I'm never intending to be. No, I got you. We're uh, we are good friends and have been right. for a long time. I understand True. when like your intention when you're saying things to me. It's a fair point. So from there, we have this wonderful end to the section for. Almost for Marisu's week, we have one more little section after this, but they take off for the train station as quickly as possible, having left Kelsier behind to melt into the Sion, and for the trio of them to, or sorry, the the four, the tetralogy, the te, the tetra, the quad, the group of them to run quartet? out to the train station. Absolutely not. It's not quartet. Could not be quartet. <laughs> That's only for what barber if they shops. Play we know string that. instruments. It's only for barber shops. Just well, I mean. You're right. It you could be. It's totally quartet. Violin, like, viola, cello, and bass. No, I, you're, you're right. All I right, fucked up. But, uh, I mean, I know we've kind of come to a conclusion on this, but once again, fuck the old lady and her <laughs> request America? to find salvation. Yeah. Oh boy, I do. I do think that I. I gotta hope that Dawn heart dawn dark whatever uh, her name dark, was dark water dark water dark water yeah that she's dawn there. heart so, <laughs> dawn, i don't know that's a reasonable fucking name given the yeah, naming scheme here it's so, true so we go to chapter 41 we cut to wax and it's b and e time baby Lands off <laughs> doing another condemned act i believe or codenamed act not condemned also maybe condemned i believe it's called grandma's got at the vodka again or something like that in the text <laughs> it's very funny while wax is investigating this office of gabby and trome at first he can't undo the window with a simple steel push and so instead breaks the window with a harder one breaking the bent lock and allowing him to make his way inside he compares the flats, and by comparison, this is chaotic and lived in versus Tobar's sort of well-treated and obviously maintained and cleaned up exterior apartment. He isn't able to make much out from the papers themselves across the desk and the ground and everywhere else that are stacked in piles, but he does manage to find some pieces of the argument in another leather letter from Venice Hasting before stumbling onto a gold mine. Gav Introne's letter. His calendar. Calendar. I fuck me. Say just say it again. Calendar. Gavin Trent's calendar. Say it. Gav. Gav. Before stumbling onto Gav in Tr- before stumbling onto a gold mine, 
Gav in Trone's calendar. So I was surprised by this, truly. And this feels like something that makes a ton of sense. And maybe we're far enough removed from physical paper calendars that like it's just not top of mind. But this struck me as genius and as as a nice quirk to the... <laughs> to the detective profession of this era. And I like, I can't help but wonder how prevalent that sort of line of investigation was pre cell phones, I guess, pre internet in, in our world, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting right because like calendars of course like are definitely the way that organized people would stick stick to their plans and stay together on these things and so it absolutely makes sense i think it's also used if i remember correctly in shadows of self to try to break down the governor's brother's schedule they find it and they can't piece together different pieces and then they manage between that and some other letters to like pull it together which is a fun like turnabout full between the stories mm-hmm. yeah but Intron's a piece of shit, so I don't even care that we're breaking and entering in this moment That's compared fair. to earlier lawman wax of whom is like, no, I won't do that. I can't do that. That's bad. <laughs> bad. And I was like, fuck it. I'll do it. <laughs> Twist Just my arm. Keep him distracted for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So Wax continues to search the room, this time burning steel to do so, and finds the hidden safe under the couch, and it seems as though perhaps Wayne's ability to distract here might be coming to an end. He begins to work the alimantic lock and finds it much trickier than one might expect, as it's a combination push-and-pull lock meant for a full Mistborn, or maybe a cheater of whom is manifesting hemolurgy. This is a fun little bit of Lockcraft, and I was curious on your thoughts on it as an amateur lockpicker and like your idea on this whole scene. What would you think? I mean, my my mind was definitely going on this one. Obviously, the mechanics and the actual construction of this lock is significantly different than what we yeah. see in existence. But the cadence and the methodology outlined, it, it makes me assume that either Brandon Sanderson understands lockpicking, mm-hmm. which isn't like truly isn't that difficult to understand its mechanics it, it like if anybody is if if there's anybody listening that really really likes physical puzzles try your hand at lock picking it is so satisfying and so much fun but either brandon sanderson understands lock picking or he consulted people like a locksmith or or somebody who understands lock picking to write this scene because it it really accurately follows the method methodology of lock picking in this sense, even though it's an entirely fabricated lock system. I appreciated it. I loved it as well. I, I think that I think that you're right. I think that this is something like Brandon could have gone and understood. And I, I don't doubt that that's possible. But I think that this is also an example of something that he might pull someone in on to be like, hey, I wrote this thing. Can you help me? understand how to make it make more sense and then to rewrite it just to make sure that it makes perfect sense because it does feel so well executed especially in the way that the like different fingers are talked about inside of the lock and the way that they're pulled on and pressed upon yeah and he talks about turning the tumblers Mm -hmm. within each lock 
that doesn't necessarily jive with my understanding of this fabricated lock system. Like, sure. why would there be a rotation aspect to it? Why would he need to jiggle it back and forth? That doesn't make sense. So that that tells me that he was also very heavily consulting on like physical lock picking properties. How could wax jiggle on it back and forth? That's also true. Good fucking point. He can't. Like, it, it's just out. He can't. Would he, would he just be moving his twist. body around to like make it twist? I guess. Could he be I like guess maybe if he does subtly body a mass. It's kind of like just kind of like. It's very like, much like people drive with Mario Kart who don't know whether like their first time Mario Karters or whatever, and they physically turn their shoulders while they're turning into a turn. <laughs> I'm sure you played with people who do that, but you know, it's a very I similar experience. Yeah, but it would be real, <laughs> and it would be the lockpick. Yeah, you do do that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> they literally made it a thing in the newer Mario Karts. Yeah, where now there's do. an actual. It's and, a thing that you oh, do. So if you physically turn, last it helps time you we played Mario it. Kart, I thought I had a bum stick like uh-huh. a bum thumbstick because i kept veering off to the left and mm-hmm. it turns out i had tilt controls on so mm-hmm. i was holding my switch like slightly down to the left and like, so i was constantly effectively turning to the left it was so fucking yeah. stupid but the same idea with the lock like that was kind of the thought yeah. process like if he's gonna make yeah, it work how was it, not he the way twisting that it was his back and forth yeah he's gotta, he's gotta like he's gotta like do a little lean right like it's gotta be a lean but it's gotta be like up and down and like in a in a circular motion with his center of gravity it's like dancing to pick a lock pick like chest dancing like it's fully but he does a bunch of moves to. it's just Push here, push here, pull there, pull there. Like, but he can't pull. In theory. He can't, so he's fucked. But yeah. like, he didn't need to jiggle. Like, he didn't. Did he? Did he say he rotated the 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 tumblers? I don't. I think tumbler was I, a well term used there. I feel like you're right. I'm gonna give it to you, but I'm not a hundred percent. I think you're right. I'm I'm second guessing myself now, but this calendar. You brought up a very good point, and now, like, I hate this. <laughs> I think it's a great scene, regardless. It is a good scene, regardless. Yeah, regardless for sure. Definitely regardless. Mm-hmm. I love you Thank dearly. You. All right. So obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to work this out. Design for Mistborn, Pound of the Foreign Frustration. What you done wrong? The lock reset. First tumbler in place. Tumbler. Look, that was a mechanism. Wait, hold, please. He nudged it and was rewarded when it locked into place. He was in luck, and this was the mechanism meant for one to push, not pull. He could open it, though even many coin shots would have trouble with something this subtle. First tumbler in place, he wiggled each remaining pin to find the second. Easy. He quickly located the third, pushed it, and the lock reset. So, use of the term tumbler and also wiggled. Mm-hmm. Unless tumbler was just a holdover from conventional locks. When they were constructing it this? could be back then. That's a great question. Hmm. Or is it an oversight? And also, how did he fucking wiggle it? Yeah. Yeah, so two pins appear to require a push, and the third seems to require a pull, and he can't break it open. Yeah. Not the important part. Yeah, right. So, fascinating. It's such a fun thing. I have a question. But... How do mirrors work with Allomancy? 
Do you mean like as a reflective surface? Yeah. So if you were to put a mirror behind mm-hmm. something that you wanted to push, could you behind. effectively pull it by pushing on the reflection? No, it's object to object. Okay. Why? No, it's totally, it's not about visual. It's about object. Yeah, that's fair. Permanence. That's a fun question, but I, I think that it's easily disproven. I know. I just want more. Yeah. I, I, want, that, I want a way for Wax to do this. That is very fun. <laughs> that reminds me of the magic system in, God, the third book or second book is Gathering of Shadows. Why can't I remember? I, I think the name is Adsom. Gathering of Shadows. Another Shade of Magic. That's what it, or a Darker Shade of Magic is what it's called. It reminds me. It's not, it's not at all similar but it just reminded me of some of those nuances that are within that magic system anyway mm-hmm. the safe we find out is a bust of course as we just discussed it doesn't quite turn right and it requires this multiple facet of, of like a couple of people or a cheater mistborn to be able to open it but he is able to quickly detect a trap door and begins his own escape through the basement oh i appreciated out of this more than anything the discussion of the novice versus expert kind of differences and how he recognizes that Entrone is a very like powerful alamancer or whatever whatever they are but his experience as being a steel pusher from a child Allows him to pick up on subtle things that might go unnoticed, but stick out to him like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. Such as the placement of these nails in the trap door. Right. That, That understanding and then subsequent explanation of it felt very natural and felt very good to me as the reader to justify why wax would notice this and why it would go un unconsidered there, by the person placing the trapdoor absolutely there's so much nuance inside of this entire chapter another example that we didn't really highlight or talk about is like the interference created between wires and being able to push them in subtle ways and like just small enough edges and this gets into the whole bubble ideology of of steel pushing but he can like mess with the wires so it messes with the lights because it creates electrical interference and then at the same time because he can see the lines he can recognize patterns in the way that people have nailed things to be like around something and so he's able to it almost appears in my head, like something out of seven or saw where it's like he sees those blue lines and it's curving inwards and he's like, whoa, what is that? That's fucked up. But he he has other things that he has to do inside the room and then he comes back to it after the fact to, you know, mm-hmm. suss out exactly what it is. I, I see this scene, this entire chapter so clearly in television format. I love it. Feels like something yeah. out of True Detective. Yeah, totally. Cool. Let's move into chapter 42. We move back to Marisi, taking a train ride on an elevated trail, and and she compares it to how she imagines a push from a coin shot causes a similar lurch, even drawing it all the way back to the flight of destiny that Vin took to make it back to Luthadel in the words of founding way back in the Hero of Ages. It is interesting to see this technological progression and imagine how that will begin to impact Era 3's storytelling as we start to see these things, again, these fantastic abilities be relegated to technology in some way. 
I can't help but think that they'll also be like enhanced because of Alamancy capabilities. Billming almost seems divorced from them in some way. But it's still it's still an interesting point to be like Vin had to juggle horseshoes to make it from A to B very quickly in Mistborn. Yeah. So Yeah, but I mean at the same time Vin was very explicitly I mean she she was going along the roads or or taking shortcuts. So like she she was aware of pub like public transit existed to a certain degree within that realm but she she was just faster so like tapping into that technology or tapping into that ability and taking inspiration from that ability makes sense to to raise everybody's ability to travel faster but in general until this point I hadn't put much thought at all. Like we, we talked about era three a little bit earlier this episode, but I hadn't really put much implication directly into era three. Yeah. Uh, from, from this book, but holy shit, does this make me think more and like another large time jump and how does, how does this information from this section or from the first trilogy get obfuscated and edited and manipulated and used to form and, and create the culture of era three? Like I, I am totally going to be constantly thinking about that from here on out because it feels like we're getting to the sort of, elevated importance of these characters actions that is going to create myth and legend that will be talked about in the next section or in the next era and how is that going to compare to what's actually happening i don't know maybe that's a a weird tangent to take but I don't know that it's fully a weird tangent to make by any stretch of imagination. I, I I really appreciate it because it is, to me, I think we mentioned this earlier, that there's like this feeling of building, of feeling more like Chicago in some ways. I think we talked about this last week a little bit. And as such, Chicago was very much ahead of the time compared to the rest of the country in a couple of different facets when it first improved itself and then it burned itself down and then it fell behind and some of the other big cities caught up. This is one of those examples to me that that stands out as being indicative of what to expect in era three storytelling and the way that technology and the magic might enhance it and the way that it might change it. And fundamentally, again, we talked about this earlier, but like the access to some of these things and the proliferation of technology that isn't elementically linked will ultimately impact Alamancers and make their effect a lot more subtle as opposed to more direct is very interesting. And I think very intriguing. I think that in particular, like high access transit obviously changes the game in a big way. I mean, for people in general, but also, you know, coin shots capability to go around town. I can't wait for the first 70s style train scene on a subway train. I can't wait for area three's inevitable subway train fight. Yeah, I think I, uh, that's gotta be a thing, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the modern version of, 
a train robbery. <laughs> yeah, the Western train. It's just it's brought up to time, right? Yeah, I'm totally exactly. in. Exactly. Totally. Yeah, I I really appreciate this sort of added bit to the story because otherwise it feels it's it's not that it's felt contextless before, but it does add this future context of where is the rest of the universe going in this moment? Where where is everyone headed from here? And that's that's very exciting to me as a concept. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's more important conversations to be had, especially that shared between Moonlight and Marisi regarding her capabilities, meaning Moonlight. And it's a great start. It's it's great that she starts with the wisecrack and then she says that it's one of her strengths before diving into her actual capabilities, including art criticism. She also introduces us to something new, soul stamps and some other capabilities. Where's your mind go with these tools that rewrite the nature of objects? I am running on so little information for this, but our newfound and relatively newfound understanding of identity makes this make a lot more sense than I think I would have originally thought. And that's been kind of a common theme in these magic systems that we've been introduced to. Face value, this feels very magic and unrooted and soft, for lack of a better term. But the the fact that we have a concrete understanding of identity to objects and that that an object's being is inherent to itself and can be potentially manipulated just really ties it together for me in a way that I can I can rationalize and understand what's being said but I'm still so in the dark you right know? No, this is this is entirely reaching to some degree. So I was just curious as to what your thoughts are on the this idea that you can apply the soul stamp and it relates directly to what the thing thinks it is to some degree. Like she would have trouble rewriting a natural wall because it was never an actual wall versus a wall thinking it's a door. That's a bizarre like thing to pitch in an explanation to receive. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they also talk on something interesting here. All of these systems of magic really aren't magic. They're science when they can be incorporated predictably into the world and where their essence comes from. It's a fascinating prospect to think about, but I don't think it reduces how fantastical this whole thing feels. What do you what do you make of this sort of we've talked about this, of course, inside of the podcast. But what do you make of this clarification? Yeah, I mean, it it is. Putting to very explicit words something that I've fond over about Brandon Sanderson's magic systems in general. And it's that this is what these worlds, this is what makes these worlds feel real to me. It's, it's rooted. It is well constructed and well, well thought out. And like, as a counterpoint, I got so internally angry so okay so whoever like if anybody doesn't know i am very unfamiliar with the harry potter series to the detriment of my friends Um, and your relationships well all of them yeah but kaylin and i have been watching like kaylin that's like a comfort series for her she'll she's watched it with friends like just randomly and she's been taking me through the movies recently and 
I got so excited when they introduced time travel in in the fourth. So I've been watching the movies. I, I haven't been reading the books, but I've been watching the movies. I'm assuming they follow it pretty sincerely, but I have no idea. But they introduced time travel, and I got just explicitly excited about it, and I was like talking to her about it, and I'm like, holy shit, this makes such cool storytelling aspects if they can pull it off. And then they never touch it again. Like they don't touch it in the fifth one. I'm like, why was there not time travel here? And she's like, there's not time travel again. I'm like, what? I was so upset that they introduced this frankly broken magic system to this world, but they pulled it off pretty well. Like there are obviously flaws to it and it could have been done better. And like, why does she use it in such a limited way? There's so many problems, but I was so angry that they just retconned the existence of it effectively for the rest of the series. It's because honestly, (laughs) the time Turner is a perfect example of the problems kind of at large with the Harry Potter story. So I, I don't, I understand. I understand exactly what you're getting at. I totally get this. And I, I love I love that you're bringing this up, especially in the context of Harry Potter, right? Because that is kind of science. To some degree, magic can become incorporated into the world and has some sort of grounding force in it, right? And I think one of the things that Rowling's books focused on, like a single plot entity for a novel and then got rid of them early on especially. But then it starts to, once she realized that she had something to some degree and became a phenomenon or it became a phenomenon, that started to shift a little bit in its perspective and it started to change. And so then it all became more grounded. I think if you asked Rowling any question today, first you'd ask her why she's a transphobic asshole, but secondarily you would ask her about if she would revise the time turner at all. And I think she would probably say yes. She'd probably put some more strict limitations on the time turner and its capabilities because it is so busted and so broken inside of the world that it could solve all of the problems that are presented by the primary plot of <laughs> of Harry Potter. To begin with, like, it's crazy nonsense. But, yeah. I think it's just one that everyone, like, bows their head and acknowledges and is like, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh. We know. Well, I didn't know. And yeah, it's fair. Stumbled upon the problem. But. Totally. Which is a very real thing. And I think it's very valid. Like, it's definitely a, a, yeah, there's no explanation for why they don't use the time turner to undo Cedric Diggory's death in book four. Like, there's no reason when they realize the goblet goes to the wrong place. Hermione, get the time turner from the, from, God damn it, wherever the place is, the Ministry of Magic. And let's rewind this real quick and make sure that Voldemort doesn't come back by not bringing Cedric Diggory as a sacrifice and not letting them cut Harry's wrist to get the blood. Like, there's so many small things that could be undone constantly. Big things that could be undone. Big things. Yeah, big things. It's like scribbling out the story and going backwards and then trying again with yeah. <laughs> the time turner because of implications. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, Anyway, rant slash rant. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. But that said, it's a fun contrast because we get some explicit rules on the Aether and their creation and maintenance that require water or a field of investiture in order to function. But Twin Soul also gives us something interesting regarding the Aethers themselves. 
Silajana, the primal aether that he's connected to, is both more and less than a god, and predates either Adelnasium or, at the very least, the Shattering, based on the conflicting perspectives that we're given. So this is very, very obviously and clearly a heavy, in-depth, twisted, connected topic, and I have no idea what to think about it, because I am utterly in the dark. (laughs) I am so removed from my understanding of what's happening and i don't know if everybody else is as well no we are but i'll give you that we are all just as interested in the aethers because it is so not talked about in the cosmere up until this point so i want to know but i have no idea what to make of it It, it well it's it's one of those things too where it's fascinating because it's like is this actually genuinely more than everything else like it, could this be something that predates the god of the universe like is there some form of dark matter that existed beforehand did a separate and that's fascinating like sec like subsection of the yeah. magic system bestowed upon by Adelnasium? like was it, it was be. it birthed at the could- same time like, yeah, could it be it, a form of investiture that is it? just unkeyed to Adelnasium to begin with? Could it be investiture in a different form? Could it be could it be like dark matter or the equivalent of dark matter? Like there there's yeah. so many good questions surrounding the Aethers. Yeah, that I love. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely unanswered up until this point. So All right. They form a reasonable plan, attempting to use the soul stamp to make their way into the back door of this factory they're approaching. There are soldiers that marshal and then begin to make their way to where we had left Wax last in the burning building, the burning mansion, with him escaping out the trap door as he's viewed as a threat versus everyone else, allowing for our ghost bloods to break their way into this tire factory to make their way potentially underground. You've got to appreciate using a distraction who's also using a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. I hadn't thought about it that it's way. That's so such a very good, funny. Yeah. Good presentation. Yeah. And ironically is probably if they succeed, the reason why they succeeded is because they figured, oh, that was a distraction. Let's go find wax. But Wax is effectively now also a distraction. Like It's just layered and it's hilarious. Yeah. And that Wayne is layered inside of this whole thing, too, with his own like selective operation of which like code name thing he decided to do, which is its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's wonderful. It's such a great way to end the week from their perspective. And that's also the reason that I decided to end it with chapter 43, not only to loop back and some things with Miracy that we'll talk about, but also... The way that we end each of the characters' perspectives with predictions going into the next week and thoughts on where they're headed, they're all held on different cliffhangers to yeah. for reference. So, Yeah, they are. We kick it off to chapter 43, and we end this week back with Steris reading a note from Wax wherein he recommends the evacuation of Elendel and hoping to succeed by creating a schism among the forces. The crowd mostly agrees that they must get out of the city, but they're missing the larger picture here, and that is their selfishness. I really debated cutting this chapter to begin with, like I mentioned, and putting it into the other week, but I think Steris's picture here of the selfishness contrasts with Marisys so excellently surrounding the sort of morality of, of being selfish and wanting to save your family that it made sense to keep it here and i just i couldn't because it's so interesting marisi i i 
did we skip over this in the beginning of the episode? It's been five hours. I'm forgetting if we I, skipped I over know. this or not. Jesus. All right. So I'm just going to clarify just in case because I, I genuinely feel like I might have skipped over it. But there's this confrontation between Wax and Marisi wherein Wax says that it's not selfish to try to save those you love and to warn those. And I think it is explicitly selfish, but it's not morally incorrect. It's still a good thing to do. You're still saving people and it's not... It's not morally reprehensible by any means, but I do think by definition it is it is selfish behavior. And I think that's interesting, especially compared to Steris's opinion on the whole ordeal, where she does know that everyone has these loved ones to save. And she does. She cringes at the thought of everyone thinking of saving the loved ones first, but also understands it foundationally. It's a fun juxtaposition of perspective that I really love between these two sisters, as well as wife and husband, and the way that those perspectives and opinions duel, which is why I kept this chapter in. Not just the nice cliffhanger note, but because of the way that those sections feel like they grind up against each other and portray something a little bit differently. I think it's critical. Not only that, but she's the one who had it all together to begin with. And I want to talk about stoicism in a bit. But what do you think about the first bit? I mean, it's it's such a hard you can go back and forth with yourself on what's mm-hmm. right and what is moral forever on on this topic and have really good arguments for any side of it you decide to take and the fact that we get multiple sides just makes this protagonist set of perspectives that much more complicated and that much more satisfying to read because you you it, it's not one perspective artificially split into different characters points of views it is a a very distinct set of perspectives with different points of like different understandings and different philosophies yeah different meters of right and wrong and that makes for such a great story to be told it's genius. To be frank, that's the reason that I feel like this is the this is one of my favorite sections of the whole book. There there's more stuff to come that I absolutely adore. But we've been we've been caught up in a lot of the sort of meta context of the of the story so far, but I think textually this is one of the most interesting perspectives as as we compare the and I I just cannot evade my love for Steris in this moment of whom I think would stare her husband in the eye and say, "No, that is selfish, but it's not wrong. And I think that's exactly what she would say. And she would hope that her husband would go off and do the heroic thing to save as many people as possible, including warning her family and everything else. But I think Steris to begin with is like saving as many people will lead to me saving my family. And that feels like it's something that's there for her. God, it's so good. It's so good. I love this. But I do also want to bring something up in the fact that she is the one who is prepared in this moment, right? And that gets to something I I haven't been able to talk about almost at all any of my love of philosophy or history (laughs) in almost all of Mistborn. But at the very least, I can say that this relates to a concept that is important to Stoics, which is called premeditatio malorum. And I think that Seneca, of whom was one of the biggest proponents of premeditatio malorum, would be very proud of what Steris has done here and her volunteerism. Uh, Somehow I knew when I read this section that you would have a stoic connection to it. (laughs) 
like yeah, I, I don't so know good. how it's I knew so- that compared to like anything else in this book, but like somehow I figured this would be the part that that did it. Um, this is is such a historically and philosophically interesting section. So it course, is, yeah, it truly is. Just kind of talking about the situation at large. They don't like the 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 governor and the senators don't even take time to discuss what to do about the populace. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even consider them. And frankly, like they do though. They do consider the populace in that they need to be kept in the dark. Like they they detain the transcriber that delivered the message and anybody who may have been exposed to terrifying. It. Yeah. Yeah. Like this this reminds me of that scene in Chernobyl where they decide to barricade the city and cut the phone lines as to not induce a panic. Like that that's that's the imagery that comes up for me of this like subterranean like war room <laughs> effectively. And fuck dude. It's it's terrifying. It's horrible. I don't I don't agree with that. As far as moral quandaries go, I disagree with the idea of keeping the populace in the dark. I I don't know about agree you. With you. <laughs> well, I I think that there is there is a here's here's my answer here is that I think that it is better to not keep the populace in the dark. However, I do believe that messaging is very important, and so just getting out raw information is not necessarily the correct solution. Saying that there is a disease rampaging across a city that is very virile and can repopulate itself very quickly is not the right messaging versus a, a practice strategic message of saying, hey, there is this there is this pandemic going around. It's important for you to maintain these these steps to maintain your health. I, I just I see I see messaging as being important and raw information and backup to that messaging being very critical. But I, I think that I can understand shutting people in with the intent of them coming out with a message. So not that you should restrict the information at all, like to prevent it from going out at all but that you should ensure that everyone who leaves the room has a distinct and clear motive operant modus operandi for how they handle the messaging to the population. I think that's important. Okay. That's how you keep people calm in intense situations. Like you're about to be nuked. Yeah. Yeah. Is that important? I think so. Why? I, organization is critical to trying to evacuate okay. people i'm totally on sarah's no, side but here. if organization if you, is very important okay. if if you're about to be nuked well they're not they're not about to be nuked they're going to no, be nuked uh, in a no day. but just bringing up that as an example yeah. sure if urgency is important nuked, to clarify so let's let's start let's start there before we before we get there if you okay. are if something is imminent if something is 10 minutes from landing messaging doesn't matter you can't do anything to save anyone there's no proximity like there's nothing that you can do ultimately get the information out to try to help as many as you can okay right okay that's one thing i agree there we with go. <laughs> okay. however they have two days based on the notation that they got approximately assuming that everything goes according to what telson lied about so don't believe it on, <laughs> don't take it on faith but suggest that you should be moving faster than that to mm-hmm. begin with 
And so that's, they didn't that's my get a timeline so. from Wax's letter Wax. did not provide a sufficient timeline. Yeah. It but just given said our dramatic irony. People. Yeah. 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 It just said it's time to evacuate the city. Which makes sense. I mean, he could have provided And then they don't the evacuate the city. They just say, hey, let's make sure nobody panics. Well. And let's get the fuck out of here. That so that's important to recognize because that's the whole point of Steris's perspective, which is that these people are selfish and they will only do what's immediately important to them as opposed to thinking of the populace. Right. I agree with you. I was arguing what the correct stance of a government is, which Fair. I think is also what Steris is doing, which is to say, hey, that's not what we should be doing. We can definitely worry about your families, take care of that. But at the same time, while you have a messenger going out and doing that, you need to be here right now planning for what we need to do next. And that's when the room shuts again. The people, I think, are left outside and they begin planning the rest of what this chapter is. Yeah, I do just as a kind of a pin note in this, which I think speaks to Steris's point. I, I want to read the Seneca quote with which is dedicated to premeditatio malorum. What is quite unlooked for is more crushing in its effect and unexpectedness adds to the weight of a disaster. This is a reason for ensuring that nothing ever takes us by surprise. We should project our thoughts ahead of us at every turn and have in mind every possible eventuality instead of only the usual course of events. Rehearse them in your mind. Exile, torture, war, shipwreck. All the terms of our human lot should be before our eyes. And that's, I think that's a great example of what Ceres does all the time. It's the base yeah. of her character. Apt. Yeah. This. Yeah, that's a that's a great pull. A. We love the a. town of Seneca. But it's great. It's great. So while Steris begins putting together the plans, Adawathwin brings forth a suggestion to protect the city using the wealth of coin shots to push against the bomb to deflect it elsewhere, as well as using the bands of mourning when that's overturned to throw the bomb out. And that just can't be an option among the group of them, it feels, especially not as it means as a means of maintaining a treaty with Admiral Dahl as he gets riled up in the moment as well and begins to toy with how this would look, how this would be an act that would sunder their treaty and as such their cooperative fealty. Yeah, they they've been begging like they, they have been scouring for a reason to break the treaty. Like mm-hmm. the, the Malwish do not want to maintain this treaty <laughs> as far it as seems, I can tell. like, yeah, totally. Uh, so like, welcome to world war Scadrial, I guess. <laughs> like it seems inevitable at this point. It, it does genuinely feel like that is maybe the next step here to some degree. Mm-hmm. I don't see them evading it easily. Right. So yeah. Ugh. And as such, we jump to era three, which would be post World War Two in theory, you know, post that era of war. So are we going to see like a post war world with the Malwish and sort of like a tentative piece? I'm very curious. Um, All the Malwish live in Argentina. (laughs) (laughs) The Malwish are not the Germans. We're not going to do that. We're not doing that on the show. I mean, we talked about it already, and it's kind of a joke. But like at the same time, Jesus, there's no way <laughs> they aren't that. They're they're not. <laughs> if anyone is that way, it's the unmasked from the very far south. But we know we don't nothing know about, about them, them, so that is such a giant prejudice to place upon them. But I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I did it anyway. So that plan making is happening, happening and pulling itself together to evacuate the city as well as what else they can do to potentially take care of the situation. While that happens and this conversation is ongoing, Tensoon also hints that there being a possibility of the bands working and that there are interactions that we as of yet have to find out about about the bands being capable of deflecting something like a bomb the governor asks a final question of what harmony would want and tensoon makes the decision as his representative to fetch the bands what do you make of tensoon's choice and how this might impact the malwish relationship with the basin where does this choice lead us in the future so this didn't feel like tensoon's decision to me Okay. There, there is explicitly a pause. Like he, he takes a, a second. He, he pauses before suddenly saying, "I'll go fetch the bands." And to me, that said he was communing with Harmony in that moment and actively communicating with him. So this feels like Harmony's decision. And uh, I think I'm willing to put it on them both because he could have lied, but. Either way. That's fair. That's totally fair. I just, I don't see Tensoon necessarily as somebody to make a rash decision like this. Because I feel like he would understand the the weight of this decision. Yes. This feels like not a decision that Tensoon would make unilaterally. Okay. So... Tensoon is going to be his dog form, not physically, but he is going to go fetch the bands, as he says himself, Mm -hmm. because that's what dogs do. Wolf dog. Yeah. (laughs) Ultimately, I I don't think that there's a way that this ends well for anybody. Like this is maybe the only option, but also not a good one. I don't know. And it leaves us in a complicated space, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I appreciate that you brought up that it did feel like it had that pause and that it felt like it was maybe Harmony's influence that kind of pushed them over the line. Because I think I agree. I think that there is more of Harmony in this than Tensoon, but I think Tensoon would be tentative to agree to a population's annihilation and would probably push push the boundaries if he needed to. He's that kind of person, mm-hmm. but would not do so without apprehension, similarly. So, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's the end of the chapter. We've been recording an awfully long time, but we do have the broadsheet yet. What did you have to bring up about the broadsheet? Well, I I still get confused about the the different (laughs) very similar names, so not as much as I thought I did. But this is the flight of the ornithopter? Not ornithopter. Something like that. Sure. It's, It's primarily the the Alamancer Jack story or Alamancer yeah. Jack adjacent story. Right. The continued story of Alamancer Jack, I believe, which is like Tabar Kaysoon or something like that, yeah. which is that like merged Chandra thing. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I felt like I had information. I, I don't remember. <laughs> My biggest thing was that I misunderstood the the comparison of names. Totally fair. I, I do think that this is interesting because, again, it, it feels like it's got this it's got this sort of like fable story to it. And I really enjoy that compared to the elements of Jack stories. And it's rather as an elements or Jack stories and the two faceless immortals kind of glaring together. It's a good one. It doesn't 
particularly stand out to me, except for that note on Toby's accurate Sunni pup, which feels like it could maybe right. be it could maybe be Ten Soon trying to sell an accurate version of the puppy that is himself to profit on the depiction. Although it could also just be someone this is the thing there's a lot of there's a lot of maybe conversation i don't think anyone actually cares about this but i do a little bit could this be ten soon trying to turn a buck i think maybe i i don't know so i don't know either but i think it's fun to think about it is fun to think about i don't think he has a need to sure this feels more like the fact that it was seated in a previous broadsheet this feels more like somebody else just trying to break into and profit off of or potentially even the same company sure that produced the suny pups to say hey we've sold all that we're going to we're running out of like we haven't made more stock let's make it so they can bring theirs in Mm-hmm. Maybe we recycle the material and turn it into new stuff and then sell them at a discounted rate, the new version. Like it, it doesn't feel that important to me, but it feels very interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's anything critical. It's really not important to the story by any regards. But I think it's fun to think of Tensoon to potentially be so petty as to <laughs> that's fair. Seek this out. Which I think is the funny thing. He does me. hate the Sunni pups. We know that. He hates the Sunni pups. So I think he would look for any correction he could make to like maybe make it more correctly in, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So yeah, feels fair. like it's him. I feel like it's him. Okay. I'll buy it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Sweet. Well, next week, we continue The Lost Metal, reading chapters 44 through 57. Chapters Ooh. 44 through 57. Thank you for sticking it out with us through this particularly long episode. There's no yeah, way this, that we get this under three hours. I'm so sorry. This is going to be can't imagine. a long one. It's gonna we be took a, a couple one. breaks, but we did, we'll see. But I, yeah. I would be genuinely shocked. I would but like to, with, as always, thank our producers, Tim and Andrew, for helping us keep our show's lights on. As always, you can check out the links in our show notes where you can find our schedule, our Patreon, our previous episodes, our websites, all of our social media accounts in one very nice, easy, convenient location. Yes, absolutely. As PJ had mentioned, of course, you can find us in all those places. We also want to take a moment today to thank our newest patron, Andrew W. Thank you so much for joining us at The Bartender. We're glad to have you to come around and chat about all things Mistborn, Cosmere, Red Rising, and the like. Your reading list should inspire everyone else. You killed it this last year, reading literally everything that we did. So (laughs) in the last couple of years, but we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, as PJ had mentioned, you can find us at Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter.com. Twitter.com? Yeah, Twitter.com, I guess. But Instagram on the app, I guess, and Reddit wherever you use Reddit. But all of those are Words Whiskey Pod. Once again, you can send us an email at wordsandwhiskeyshow at gmail.com. You can join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. And you can check out the t shirts that we currently have on offer at T Public. We actually finally are doing our first print, PJ, that 
We'll be moving from T Public very, very soon. I feel like I've been saying that for three months now, but you have been. We have a screen printing thing that was ordered for us, so it's coming soon. <laughs> so very exciting. Beyond that, we'll see you next week. See you soon. Bye.